Again, it's good to see those who have made it back this afternoon, certainly a little smaller in number than we hope for, but that's okay. We'll do uh, the best we can to glorify God in our, in our meeting this afternoon. We're going to continue in Galatians, picking up in verse 11, and we'll finish up the chapter tonight and finish up the book of Galatians. And this has been a really encouraging study for me and going through the book of Galatians and just getting a deeper knowledge of what God is trying to teach us and, and what was dealt with back in the first century with some of the uh, Judaizers and, and how that was dealt with. So I'm thankful that I was able to, to um, study some of these things a little more. Picking up in, in verse 11 of Galatians chapter 6, it says, this is Paul writing, See what large letters I use as, as I written to you with my own hand. Paul most likely dictated most of his letters that he wrote to the churches and, and some of the other letters that we spoke, uh, 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 read in the Bible. So he spoke and somebody else was writing them down. And sometimes, though, he would get to the end and just like anybody who is maybe dictating uh, a letter or, or at least he would pick up at the end and, and maybe sign at the very least their name, maybe even write a couple of notes and sign it. Most scholars seem to think and debate kind of what's going on here. Um, or, you know, most of them think that Paul actually takes the pen out of the, out of the uh, scribe's hand himself and writes this uh, on his own. He says, basically Paul's saying, I'm going to write this last point. I want to make sure that I am writing this myself to you Galatians. So he wants them to really understand and hear that. And he continues in verse 12. He says, as many as desire to take a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. And here it is in verse 14 that we're going to spend a lot of time on. If you don't have this highlighted or marked in your Bible, this is a really, really important verse. He says, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Boasting in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. God of Israel, for now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Galatians 3 showed us the supremacy of Christ of all the Old Testament, of Abraham, Moses, everything pointing to Christ himself. Everything flowing from Christ and Christ alone. He is the object of our faith. Justification by grace through faith in Christ alone means this is, this is why we boast in the cross alone. And it's truly remarkable, especially in verse 14. It's really kind of a bold statement that Paul gives here, especially being a Jew and especially being in the first century. He doesn't say that, that, that the cross is one of the things that he boasts in. There's a lot of things that, you know, that, that we could be proud in. I want to boast in this. I want to boast in that. 
And that word boast, in, in, even in the uh, uh, original language of the New Testament, doesn't really have a comparable English definition or translation that we know to think. Does it mean boasting or bragging? Uh, it really means, if we put it all to one, we, we boast in, we glory in, we rejoice in, we, we're consumed by, we're obsessed with. Our life is, is consumed by that, by that one thing. All of that in one word, boast in the cross. And he says, it's not just one thing I boast in, he says, it's the only thing that I boast in. He doesn't want to boast in anything else. There's no ground for boasting in anything but the cross. Now, that doesn't seem maybe very bold for us today to say something like that, but we're 2,000 years removed from what the cross actually did, from what it was. We have uh, the, the culture that we live in today tends to glamorize the, the cross. You know, we wear sometimes, you know, we see, like we've mentioned in the past, you know, we put the cross on a necklace. Sometimes we see it on the wall in somebody's home. You know, that's not something that was done in the first century because it was such an image of death. It was such a gruesome way, a horrible means of execution, torture. Uh, it was meant to humiliate and to degrade. You know, they would take a, a man and strip him naked and put him on a tree and put stakes in his hands and his feet and hold him up for everybody to walk by and and spit on him and curse and mock him. And even the worst Roman criminal wouldn't get treated that way. There's laws today against things like that happening. And if you go back a couple chapters to Galatians 2, I want us to see uh, uh, how we see the word crucified and cross building up to Galatians Chapter 6, if you want to underline them in your Bible or highlight them or however you want to do it. But if we start in, in Galatians 2, verse 20, it says there, I have been crucified with Christ. It says I have been crucified. He's given us this language and it, and it just kind of comes off the page when we realize what, what horror and what, what was all associated with with a word like that, with crucified with Christ. And of course, Galatians 3 verse 1 says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. This was an embarrassment. It wasn't good to be crucified. We're not proud of somebody being crucified. Then we get to verse 13. It says, uh, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone uh, who hangs on a tree. Not the same word crucified, but hanging on a tree is what it's referring to there. And then we come to Galatians 5 and 11. Paul writes, And I, brethren, if I have still preached circumcision, circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. Paul knows that the cross is offensive. And then we get to verse 24. It says, And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And then we come, of course, to verse 12 in chapter 6. Second half of the verse says, Only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. And then in verse 14, what we've talked about, But God forbid 
that I should boast and accept in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Galatians is filled and saturated with, uh, with grace that we can read about. And it's centered around the cross. And this is, is really big. And, when, and we're going to look at reasons in Galatians 6 why we actually want to boast in the cross. There's reasons why. It's more important that whatever job advancement we can get or what salary we can make or what house we could live in or, or what car you can drive... The cross, boasting in the cross, is so much better than all of those things. So I want to look at a few reasons why we boast in the cross. I've come up with four. There's probably more, I'm sure. But reason number one, we, uh, we boast in the cross because the cross confronts us with the reality of our sin. We've seen this all the way in Galatians up to this point. Uh, remember the Judaizers were saying you need to be circumcised in order to be saved. Not just being baptized for the remission of sins, but now, you gotta, now you, we want to still keep circumcision involved. You need to follow these Jewish rules and rich rules and regulations. And the Judaizers weren't saying that Jesus didn't die on the cross. They weren't denying that at all. They said Jesus did die on the cross, but what they were doing is they were saying, Okay, Jesus died on the cross. He did his work here. And now we're going to keep doing our work over here. So we're going to finish what Jesus started. And that's not what Scripture teaches us. We understand that. So we want to think about the realities that Paul has built up to this point in, in, in Galatians 6. The first reality, we are slaves to sin. At the end of Galatians 3, it talks about prisoners of sin. Galatians 4, uh, eight different times in Galatians 4, talks about slavery, slaves. It's mentioned over and over and over again. In chapter 5 of Galatians, in the first chapter, it says we are no longer slaves to sin. We're slaves under a new, uh, we're, we're slaves to sin under the new law. And then when we go to Romans 6, 7, and 8, we can see we were slaves to sin all over the place. It's mentioned multiple times there. We were slaves to sin. Second reality that Paul has uh, built up to this point is we are dead in sin. In Galatians 3, verses 10 through 13, it says we're cursed before God, condemned before God because of our sin and our inability to obey the old law. And if, uh, you, if, even if you look over into Ephesians chapter 2, um, the, the, the first verse starts off, Paul talking about what we were before we came to Christ. He says, and you were dead in trespasses and sins, dead to our sins. Next, we are unable to save ourselves. Paul's been saying it over and over and over again up to this point in Galatians. Paul says, you know, you could do all these things. You could do, you can have your circumcision. You can do whatever other rituals you guys have been doing for years. But all that work still doesn't do what Christ has done for you. You still can't make the final judgment on yourself. Jesus Christ is the one who has done that. What slave can pay the price to sell himself free? What dead man can bring himself to life? What person who is dead can choose life? And that's, that's why it's so offensive about the cross sometimes because the, the cross confronts us with the reality that we can't do anything without it. 
We need the cross of Christ. And that's the whole picture. You know, we can talk about grace and go into that, but we don't have time. God is telling us, go to the cross and look at my son. Look at the divine wrath, the divine weight of sin poured out on my son for your sin. And, and when we see that, we don't walk away from the cross saying, thank you. We're going to go ahead and keep living our lives now. No, when we understand the weight of what the cross has done for humanity, then we go about living our lives in a completely different way. The, the words of the hymn writer said, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. What we need is supernatural regeneration. The cross confronts us with the reality of our sin and offends our pride at the core and says, we need, to do, we need God to do something for us that we cannot do ourselves. We need to give our life to him. And he does it by the cross. And what I mean by it when I say the cross, I'm talking about what Jesus accomplished at the cross with his death. So we boast. We say, yes, that's where my glory is. That's where my joy is. Because that leads to the second reason why we boast in the cross. Not just because it confronts us with the reality of our sin, but because the cross comforts us with the provision of our Savior. When you get down into verse 12 of chapter 6, those who want to make a good impression outwardly or trying to compel you to be circumcised, they want to make a good impression outwardly. They want to look good on the outside is what it comes down to. The Judaizers were focusing on, okay, what can we do outwardly to please God and, and man? And the, and the cross undercuts the efforts of those Judaizers really, really quick. So we know we're done with the outward impressions before God and before men. Paul says we no longer live for the applause of man. He says here in verse 12, as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised. And then we get down to verse 13, and he says, for not even those who are circumcised keep the law. But they desire that you have that you, but they desire to have you circumcised. The motive behind the Judaizers was that that they could boast in the flesh. That was their motivation. They wanted to boast in the flesh. They, they want to boast in, in glory and how many guys have been circumcised. How many have been how many have done what has been prescribed. What. You know, they want to, it's all a number count for them. They wanted, they wanted to get as many people circumcised and say, look at what we've done. That's what it came down to. We no longer live for the applause of man because we now live with the pleasure of God. Paul is saying that we are free to rest in him. We don't need the applause of men, even religious organizations or, or anything like that. We do not look for the applause of man. We have the pleasure of God in us through Christ. The third reason we boast in the cross is because the cross reminds us that our safety is not found in this world. We saw this in a little bit in Galatians chapter 5, verse 11. And if we look at the second half of verse 12, here in, verse, in chapter 6, he says, about the Judaizers, he says, the only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. And we need to understand that if you were a Jew Jewish person in the first century and you embrace 
the cross, like Paul is teaching us here, is saying here, that basically the cross is everything. And you say, circumcision, we don't need that anymore. If you're a Jew and you're, and you're clinging to the cross now, and you're getting rid of the old ritualistic parts of the law, then all of a sudden you find yourself basically turning your back on the Jewish leaders, the Jewish teachers, and all the teachings, and I think you would find yourself ostracized. And that's what Paul is, has experienced himself. You find yourself kicked out of the synagogue, uh, kicked out of your household probably. You find yourself at a social, as a social out, outcast, maybe facing financial ruin, or maybe worse. And when we think about the persecution of Christianity in the early centuries of the church, we often think about Roman persecution. But the reality that the New Testament teaches us is that persecution of the church didn't begin by the Romans. It actually began by the Jewish people. Jewish people started persecuting Christians first. We get to Acts 7, we can read about Stephen, first Christian martyr that we can read about, stoned by Jewish ruling council. And then, of course, Paul in Acts 8, he was a Jewish man leading Jewish people from house to house, persecuting Christians. So there was a, there's a cost. There was a cost. If you embrace the cross like this, then there's a cost, Paul's saying. Paul's saying, these guys are wimps. These Judaizers, they don't want the persecution that comes along with holding on to the cross and boasting in the cross. There's a price that comes with that. We get down to verse 17, and Paul says, kind of a play on images, he says, From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. And it's a great picture here. Paul is talking to a group of people who are saying, Well, this is what you need to do to your body to be saved. That's what the Judaizers are saying. You've got to do this to your body to be saved in order to please God. And Paul says, no, no, no. I'm going to show you what it means to be a follower of Christ. I'll show you what happens when you follow God. He says, let me show you the bruises on my arms and my leg from when I was stoned in Lystra, one of the cities that was in Galatia. He said, let me show you the marks that show my identification, my identification with Christ. If we go to uh, 2 Corinthians 11... If you want to turn over, I'll have it up here on the screen too. 2 Corinthians 11, we'll start in verse 23. Paul starts describing what he had been through as a follower of Christ. He says there, As the ministers of Christ, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, and I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren." In weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily? My deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? 
Paul is saying, this is what I have gone through, becoming a follower of Christ. I've left, my, I've left the old law of, of the Jewish law and the traditions, and now I'm clinging to the cross. Paul is saying here in, in Galatians 6 is a truth for all of us who identify ourselves with Christ. He says, we do not fear suffering. We do not fear suffering. These false brothers were teaching false doctrines in Galatians 6, and we can tell because of the way that they were avoiding persecution. The way that they were running scared of identification with the cross. Those who are identified with the cross don't fear suffering. In fact, when we're identified with a crucified Messiah, we expect suffering in some way or another. Paul, talking about boasting in, uh, in crucifixion, saying you can tell I'm identified with Christ because of what I've been through. It's like what he says in Philippians 1, when he says it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ to suffer. It's been given as a gift to you in the language of the New Testament. Philippians 1. It's a gift to suffer, if you want to paraphrase it. We're not identified with a Savior who lives in a five-star resort or is dressed in really fine clothing or had a home, anything like that. We're identified with a Savior who has been mocked and beaten and scourged and spit upon and nailed to a cross. If we think about it, what was God? You know, God's strategy for showing his love most clearly to the world his way of showing love was giving a suffering servant to us in his divine wisdom he ordained a suffering servant the self-sacrifice of his only son to be the means by which he would say that I love you and I'm compassionate for you and I'm gracious towards you we can see this through history of course after the cross we see the New Testament letters that are written to Christians who are suffering in that time, the book of Acts, persecution and suffering. We see Christian history tells, out, tells us that 10 out of the 11 disciples were martyred. And, you know, God's strategy, I don't think, has necessarily changed a whole lot. God's showing us his love most clearly through the world by showing us that his followers suffered. They went through a lot. We don't fear suffering. We do not. We don't, not that we look for persecution. We don't look for suffering. But the reality is, is, you know, what do we expect sometimes? We need to be prepared for it. We're talking about the cross and what it does for us. We don't want to minimize that. The cross keeps us from wasting our lives in this world. When you get to verse 14, Paul says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Paul is, Paul is basically saying here, I am dead to the world, and the world is dead to me. And when he came to Christ, his, his entire relationship with the world changed. He's saying, this world has nothing for me anymore, nothing for us. If we're a Christian, all the things of this world mean absolutely nothing. We don't live for the joy that this world can provide us. It does, we don't have any satisfaction there. There's no source of joy there. Philippians 3, when Paul says, you know, he comes, he comes up with a list of things that he has in this world. And he says, you know, you put all those things together, 
and they're trash. They're rubbish. Compared to one thing, compared to knowing Christ. Paul says, take everything, even the best things of this world has to offer me. And as long as I have Christ, I have everything that I need. The world has nothing for us because Christ is everything to us. One scholar said, the baptized Christian has ceased to belong to the world and is no longer its slave. He belongs to Christ alone and his relationship with the world is mediated through Christ. This changes the way that we live. We don't run now after the pursuits of this life, the pleasures of the world. We don't look for joy and satisfaction in the world. We're free from those things. Christ is everything to us. Now, of course, we, when we say the world has nothing for us, that doesn't necessarily mean that everything in this world is bad. You know, if that's the case, you know, our families are bad. Our children are bad. Our friends are bad. You know, we know that's not true. That's not what it's saying. It's not saying that's world bad. Paul said he's crucified of the, to the world, but he's still in the world. So what does that mean? What does it mean, boasting of the cross, related to everything else in this world? And it leads us to the last reason why we boast in the cross, because this is where it gets really, really good, I thought, because the cross supplies us with every good thing that we have. The cross supplies us with every good thing about, that we have. You know, what about our spouses or our children? Are we allowed to be proud of that and to boast in that? Are we allowed to find joy in them? And what I want to try to do is show the correlation between the cross and maybe even just a simple parent's pride. You know, at the cross, we realize that, it, that if the cross was not there, we have nothing but condemnation from God. If the cross is not there, a sinner standing before a holy God receives nothing but, of course, judgment and condemnation. And now we begin to realize that it's only because of the cross that we have the opportunity to enjoy our children or our family. That's the only source. If the cross wasn't there, we couldn't enjoy that. We, we wouldn't want to... Uh, uh, you know, teach those around us or raise our children up to show that love. Good things and, and sometimes even the bad things that God uses to turn to good and every single one of those things is possible because of the cross. If we look at verse 15, realize that this is a Jewish man stating, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. God has not given us better lives because of the cross. He's not said, here's the cross. Now go on to maybe go buy some books from the Christian bookstore and start reading those and learn how to be a better you. That's not what he's saying. He's not, it's not to improve our lives or give us better lives. It's given us a new life, completely changed and different from what we used to be because of the cross. We've been recreated by His Spirit and are being recreated and continue being recreated as we study the Word. We're ruled by the Gospel. Verse 16 says, And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the, uh, uh, I believe it's supposed to say, God of Israel. 
It actually says Israel of God. Finally, Paul closes the exact same way he began in Galatians 1.3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. And then we come to verse 18. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, with your spirit. Amen. We are all recipients of that same grace that Paul is talking about in Galatians today. It's the same grace that we can receive. The cross will always be our reservoir from which that grace comes from, from what Christ did for us on the cross. So that's why we boast in the cross. Because of what it has done for us, what Jesus did for us. That's the one thing we live for. That's the one thing we count on. That's why we are obsessed with the cross. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.